curious people, welcome to Explaining Science to My Dad, the podcast where I try to provide intelligent answers to my dad's very silly questions. I'm Lily, a physics graduate and science communicator. And I'm Lloyd, I'm Lily's dad, I'm an English graduate, so I've got far fewer career prospects than Lily has, uh, and I'm a man who does not know nearly as much about science as he thinks he does. Dad is always asking me to explain some mad science concept to him, so we decided to make a podcast so that you can listen in on our silly science conversations. And thankfully, I'm not going to be trying to tackle his questions alone. I've enlisted the help of some proper experts. So, Dad, what's today's question? Well, today's question, Lily, is a question about you, really. Um, it's a question, why can you sing? Because you were you were a good singer. So, why can humans sing? And it's, not, it's less about why did we evolve to sing, because lots of animals sing to each other for all sorts of reasons. So I'm more interested in what is it about as an anatomically that allows us to sing, and also some of us to sing less well. <laughs> it's a great question, and uh, we've got a great expert and a great answer lined up for you. I should just say for the listener, quite funny, we have just had to move rooms while we were recording because of a baby next door who has very strong vocal cords. Yeah, was having a bit of a sing, um, slash, slash, slash cry. scream, so shout out to that baby. Um, so today's expert dad is a man called Nathan Wellham, who is a surgeon and professor in the Department of Surgery at the University of Wisconsin School of Medicine and Public Health. Wow. Yeah. That's quite a wow. title. He's obviously a very distinguished person. He is a very distinguished man. And he is a specialist in the treatment of patients with voice disorders. So I thought he'd be a great person to speak to because we can talk about, uh, well, he, he knows all about why voices sometimes don't work and therefore probably knows a lot about when they do work. Um, but I will let him introduce himself. My job here really involves two main things. I spend some of my time uh, taking care of patients who have problems with their voice uh, and I evaluate them and uh, treat them and, and then the other part of my job is uh, scientific or involves doing research related also to voice uh, and the larynx and vocal folds and uh, different uh, ways that we can evaluate problems uh, and improve the kind of care that we give for people with voice problems. So that's Nathan. Uh, I came across Nathan because of his group's research, which made headlines in 2015 when they successfully grew working vocal cords in the lab. Really? Human vocal cords? Human vocal cords from human cells, um, stem cells, and things like that. And that's a super interesting place to start um, with why can we sing? Because vocal cords, much like the cords on a guitar, um, although spelt differently, without an H, which is a mistake I kept making. Well, they're nothing like the chords on a guitar. You mean like the strings on a guitar? Yes. A chord is not a string. Yeah, that's a really bad. H. That's a really bad analogy. I kept spelling it with an H. <laughs> um, it's not like chords on a guitar. You're quite right. 
Um, <laughs> uh, so anyway, vocal cords provide us with the pitch of. Uh, this is the called notes explaining science badly to my dad. This, <laughs> this is called explaining science because I spelt things wrong to my dad. Yeah. Um, anyway, I will pass on to the expert because clearly I know nothing about vocal cords and <laughs> let Nathan ex um, tell us about pitch. So uh, on a string instrument, if you play guitar, violin or cello or anything, you may realize that the thicker string has a lower frequency or lower fundamental frequency or lower pitch than the thin string, so the low E and the high E on the guitar. And so a thinner string, a thinner vocal fold or smaller vocal fold in a child or in a woman's vocal fold versus a male vocal fold has a higher pitch. And on the instrument, if we take our finger up the fretboard and make the, make the string shorter, uh, the pitch also goes up. And it's a similar thing for us if the vocal folds are shorter uh, in someone who has smaller vocal folds like a child again the pitch of the voice is higher and if we tighten the um, string on the instrument again the pitch goes up or loosen the string the pitch goes down and in any one of our vocal folds if we tighten the tension in the muscle that's inside that vocal fold it does the same thing it raises the pitch so if I uh, do something like this I'm using the musculature in here to very precisely tighten the vocal fold and increase the pitch. So I've learned something today already. So I didn't actually know that vocal cords worked in the same way as strings. Such that, so a thicker chord is a lower note. Yep. And a shorter chord is a higher note. Well, thicker chords are capable of producing lower notes. And yeah. shorter chords are capable of producing higher notes because of their fun something called their fundamental frequency. Yep. So um, the, the length of the string and its thickness uh, dictates its fundamental frequency. Now, this is where a humanities degree becomes uh, useful, Lily, because you know who discovered that? Who? Pythagoras. Wow. Why does a humanities degree become useful then? Early Greek philosopher. I'd argue Pythagoras is a mathematician. Would you? I would argue that he's a philosopher. Funny that, isn't it? Interesting. Um, maybe we're all one and the same. So um, just like the strings on a guitar, there's a specific frequency um, that that string will make when you pluck it. And if you, like whether you would with a capo on a guitar with your finger on a violin, if you shorten the string, you're going to be able to make different pitches as well. Um, but the if you range... half the length, it would be an octave higher. Exactly, exactly. Um, because the number of wavelengths that you get when you pluck in the string now you're getting all scientific on me, I see. Yeah. Okay. Um, so that the frequency of the, the string doubles. The frequency of the string doubles. Explain. So you've got a string of uh, length a metre. Yeah. And I pluck it with a certain force. Yeah. Then I'm going to get, um, say, two wavelengths on that string. What do you mean by two wavelengths? So remember, two, two remember whole... Remember you're talking to an idiot, Lily. Sorry. Two whole waves. <laughs> Right, okay, so we'll cycle through up twice. Up and down, up and down. Okay, right. If I half that yeah. and I pluck it with the same force again, I'm still going to get um, two waves, up and down, up and down, but over half the length. Right. And so the wavelength of my string, of my sound, has um, the has, sound wave, that has is. Has halved. Has halved, which means its frequency has doubled. Okay. Which means the octave, just like you said, it's an octave higher. 
And so the frequency is the rate at which the wave passes through. Yes, yeah, so it's the number of waves that cycle. So the per wave second. is passing twice as quickly along the length. Yeah, exactly. Okay. Because I it, because it can because I've applied the same never, force. But I to never a really understood string. that when I was at school. It's, it's a hard one to wrap your head around. Back in the early 20th century. But there's a lot more going on than just pitch. In the same way that if I just put a string on a stick and pluck it, or I put a string on a violin and pluck it, they're going to make very different sounds. But I'll let Nathan talk about that. When we use our voice, whether it's for speaking like we are now or for singing, we're using the vocal cords uh, or vocal folds as we also call them. Um, but they're just one piece in a like multi-system production, so to speak, that is involved in, in getting sound out of the mouth. So the vocal folds are housed uh, in the voice box or larynx in the neck, but they are just two strips or folds of tissue, one on the right, one on the left, that have a very special job of converting uh, airflow, aerodynamic energy within air into an acoustic or a sound energy that then comes out. So the first thing before uh, anything happens in the voice box or with the vocal folds is air uh, is in the lungs and that air uh, is sent out of the body or through the system. So it comes up the windpipe or trachea. The, inside the larynx, the vocal folds kind of behave a little bit like a valve. Uh, the two of them come together in kind of a position where they're ready to go into vibration. And then the airstream um, sends them into vibration or oscillation. And that oscillation acts as the source of voice for, that we use for speech or singing. So that oscillation is very interesting uh, in terms of uh, its physics and the way that it works, both the way the oscillation kind of begins, um, at, and, but then it also goes into um, a self-sustained kind of pattern where it just continues. That's the source of voice, but if it stopped there, the sound that we would hear uh, coming out wouldn't sound human at all. It would sound very robotic and mechanical and uh, we wouldn't like it, I think. So he's basically saying that the, the air passing over the vocal folds, he calls them, not the vocal cords. Yeah. Um, which is, and there's only two, which is interesting. Yes, yeah. Um, so it passes over them and, and, and that makes them, that, that creates an oscillation, which is where you're back to your frequency and wavelengths again, and that's the sound yeah, that comes exactly. out. So the, the, the pluck, as it were, yeah. on the string of the guitar. Is the breath passing over the, the breath cords. passing over it, exactly. So... Why then would a voice sound robotic Rather directly than human. from the lungs, vocal cords and larynx? That's what I want to find out. Um, it's because the sound hasn't yet had a chance to resonate in our bodies. Do you know what resonance is? Uh, I know what it is. In, in, it, well, I know what it is kind of in, in words. It's, the, it's, it's, it's the, the way a sound will bounce off a chamber to create a particular timbre or tone yeah exactly in, in, in music that's exactly that's, that's exactly what we mean when we talk about resonance it's actually a, a, a physical phenomenon resonance what it is is when you match frequencies of waves which increases their amplitudes and makes them louder so all objects in the world you me 
the crying baby next door, mm-hmm. um, have a natural frequency. Uh, the, the particles in them that, that are always vibrating, because all particles are always vibrating, have a frequency that they vibrate at. And so the, every object has its own natural frequency. If you then apply an oscillating force, a wave is an oscillating force. It's just a, a force that's going up and down and up and down and up and down which has the same or a similar frequency as that natural frequency that that thing's oscillating at, a phenomenon occurs where the vibrations of the object get really, really big because you're matching up the biggest parts of both waves. So the two peaks of the waves yeah. are becoming really close to each other. Right. There's a couple of examples of that that you might have come, have come across. So do you remember when they had to shut the Millennium Bridge? I do. They, they had that, to was, that was a resonance, I remember it with the resonance word, yeah. Yeah, exactly. And that was because um, the bridge was vibrating with a natural f- frequency. And I think that actually the, the frequency of the oscillation in that case may have been due to the wind. So the wind was applying a force that was causing the, yeah. the bridge to wobble. And then people walking on it, the frequency of that, that force of the people walking on it was, was behaving like an oscillating wave, exactly matching the way that the, the bridge was vibrating right. and causing those vibrations to get really, really big. And so it was dangerous to go on. And then the other one that you might have come across is when um, you see singers breaking glasses with their voice. Oh, is that really a thing? I just assumed that was it's possible. on it's, TV. It's, it's really tricky because the natural frequency of a crystal glass is incredibly high in terms of notes. Um, and so you have to hit a really, really high pitch and you have to hit kind of exactly on the natural frequency. So when you say the, the natural frequency of a glass is very high... It, does that mean the glass is making a sound all the time? We just can't hear it. No. Or is that is that is that just when you talk about frequency, you're just talking about the the oscillation of the of the of the glass itself. The oscillation of the glass itself. Right. Yeah. Because it's all a sound wave is. It's is, a wave. Well, it, it's a wave that moves particles of air, and the way that the particles of air move is over what your our, e- over your ear. Over your ear yeah. is is what you hear. Yeah. So the wave moving the particles in the crystal glass matches the way that those particles are already vibrating. Smash. Okay. Make sense? Yeah, yeah. So you have to hit a really high note that perfectly matches the frequency of the the oscillation of the glass. Yeah. Got it. Or gets really, really, really close. And so we as human beings are oscillating. Everything's oscillating. <laughs> Excellent. Everything's oscillating. Because if you wanted everything to stop oscillating... Yeah. Everything would have to be at absolute zero temperature. Okay. Which is the temperature at which all particles stop vibrating because they have no thermal energy and therefore have no yeah. kinetic energy vibration. Zero Kelvin. Zero Kelvin. Do you know how many degrees that is, Dad? 256 minus, something like that. Two, minus 273. Close. Degrees C. You were very close. close. You were very close. I'm impressed. I'm impressed. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You, weren't, you weren't far off. Well, he went to the same college as me. <laughs> Kelvin? Yeah. Did he? Posh boy. <laughs> Okay, so resonance. We understand what resonance is now. Yeah. So now um, I will let Nathan explain how that all applies to our singing voices. Yep. So the thing that makes voice very human and makes uh, voice useful or appealing in things like singing is everything that happens afterwards. So the sound, that the acoustic signal that's generated by these two vocal folds vibrating together... Uh, is modulated or resonated by the cavities up- upstream or above those vocal folds. So the shape 
uh, and tissue structures of the throat or pharynx, the mouth or oral cavity and the nose as well. And so all of us uh, resonate and modulate the sound in a very special way that gives my voice its own timbre and gives you your voice its own timbre or natural sound and that a singer uh, would maybe naturally use and then learn to uh, tweak or develop or refine with a lot of training to also get certain kinds of sounds for certain kinds of singing. The principles are just the same as a musical instrument. So just like uh, we have two vocal folds and we have this resonating structure in the head that's very complicated and dynamic, something like a piano has a string or the ha strings and hammers, but also has a shape or a resonating cavity or a body of the instrument that modulates that sound and changes it, as does a violin or a cello or a trumpet or a trombone or whatever. So the source of the sound, whether it's the two vocal folds or the violin string or the guitar string, is just as important as the body of the instrument. When we think about singing, there's a lot of technique and training and things that can happen. But also, perhaps, um, some people's uh, bodies and structures are really well suited uh, to producing an attractive, you know, musically appealing voice too. And so, maybe uh, Adele or Pavarotti or someone may have uh, the ability to resonate their sound in the way that a Stradivarius violin has a very appealing sound and is very desirable. So there's three components to singing then, as I understand it. Yes. There's the air yes. coming up from the lungs. Yes. That's the first component. The second component is that's passing over the vocal um, fold, fold um, in, in the voice box. And that creates, that creates a sound, yep. um, which, as you said, would be quite robotic. But then that sound is then resonated yes. through the cavities of the throat and head exactly. to create a singing voice. Yep. That's so really interesting. What you can do with the sound that you produce is match the natural frequencies or get closer to the natural frequencies in various parts of your body to produce louder and more lovely sounds, depending on what part of your body you're yep. using. And there's all sorts of... The reason why voices can be so varied and, and possibly more varied than the, the, the sounds that instruments can make is because there are so many different places that you can resonate your voice. Your chest, your lower body, your, your tummy. Oh, I thought it was all this. I thought it was only the upstream. Not at all. It's, it's kind of any cavity in your body, really. Okay. Um, so in your throat, in your mouth, in your nose, in your face, in your sinuses. So there's lovely bones, ma Welsh male voice choirs with their with their men with their barrel chests. Yes, exactly. So we call that, uh, the way we resonate our voice in singing, placement, because you, it is literally where you're kind of choosing to place your voice because it's where you're resonating it the most. Uh, and a good, a good example, and bear with me, because I might not be able to do this anymore, yeah. um, uh, is to demonstrate just singing normally in the mouth. Uh, or I can redirect my voice and try and kind of make my nose vibrate and make it sound nasally. Yeah. And it will go, ah. Very good. Ah, 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 ah. Completely different sound. Yeah. Same note. My I, vocal cords are doing the same thing. I didn't thing. know you could do that. <laughs> it's very so, silly. You're a party piece. <laughs> so to sum up, and this is probably the best way to think about this question, and kind of how you started it off, 
not why can we sing, but why can't some people sing? Yes. Or so, sing, sing so well. Yeah. Exactly. So we're actually far more musical than we think, people. Only around 2% of the entire population, they think, have a pitch perception deficit, which impairs their ability to detect fine differences between musical notes. Okay. So that would be something probably neurological. So if your godfather, Keith, is listening to this, he's in the, he's 2%. In the 2%. Hi, Keith. I'm really sorry <laughs> you're in the 2%. But that, that's usually something neurological and do, to do with how your brains are interpreting sound waves, so how your brains are interpreting those uh, movements of particles right. in your ears. But only 2% of the population actually have that. So in theory, that remaining 98% can be taught to sing. Should all have this, roughly the same ability to perceive music and judge what's in or out of tune. And obviously there's a lot of stuff to do with kind of um, how you've grown up, if you've been exposed to music more and you understand it more and that kind of thing. Um, and you sit, you sung more when you were younger and so you've got more muscle memory to do yeah. with singing. It must be a fitness thing as well, right? I mean, you've got to be control the breath. You've got to be able to control your breath. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. But... It may be the case that some of us are Stradivarius violins mm. and some of us are one of those strings on a box that you used to make at school to make an instrument. Yes. And What? Did you never do that? <laughs> did you go to school in the 1950s and I just didn't know? No, we, we did you never have a lesson where you made musical instruments and you put like rice in a box and it makes a shaker and you yeah. put a rubber band. And we, and we used to put a coal, a lump of coal in your stocking at Christmas. <laughs> Style some of the State London. School. Yeah, yeah, there you go. <laughs> um, but so yeah, and and even then, you you might you might master the breath, and you might master the resonance, and you might have perfect control of your singing voice, but you just don't have a Stradivarius violin for a body. No. And that might be where some people's natural ability to sing and others you're come just, from. You're just not a Stradivarius. You're just not a Stradivarius. Yeah. Thanks for listening to Explaining Science to My Dad. And a massive thank you to Nathan Wellham for his expert support. Couldn't have done it without you, Nathan. I don't even know what a vocal cord is, apparently. No, well, you, your, your comparison to a strings and a guitar went completely haywire. Nathan's analogies were much better. Yeah, much better. Um, next episode. So I've been reading about the Large Hadron Collider, Lily. Have you, Dad? Which is always dangerous, I'm right? Uh, and off on you. Uh, they are they're restarting it, right? They are. They, they turned it up. off. And they turned it on again. I think they fired protons at each other control today. Control the meat, yeah. The first time um, and one of the things they're going to be doing is looking for dark matter. Ooh. So I would like to know what is dark matter and how on earth or off earth do you look for it? Silly. Good question, though. I'm, I'm looking forward to that one. It'll be a good one. Okay, good. If you want to say hello, think you can help me answer one of our questions, or if you've got a question you want me to explain to Dad, you can email us on explainingscience2mydad at gmail.com or visit our website, explainingsciencetomydad.com. You can also reach us on Twitter and Instagram using at exp-science2dad. That's E-X-P-science-number-2-dad. And you can subscribe to us on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks, Thanks for, listening. for listening. Bye. Bye. Explaining Science to My Dad was presented by Lily Shepherd and Lloyd Shepherd with music from Benjamin Vise.